and welcome to Fertility Talks, the Therapy Fertility Podcast. I'm your host, Renee Von Medin, and this season I'll be sitting down with none other than the Medical Director of Therapy Fertility, Dr. John Kennedy. Each week, we will be chatting all things fertility, trying to conceive, and much, much more. We hope that through this series, through honest conversation and information, we can strip away some of the stigma that sometimes comes hand in hand with infertility and fertility treatment in Ireland. This week on our third episode, John and I are going to be talking about preserving your fertility. What does it mean and how do you do it? Let's get right to it. What does preserving your fertility mean? So, the two biggest determinants in a person, uh, anybody's ability to conceive or a woman's ability to conceive are age and ovarian reserve. These are the two critical factors. There's loads of others. And of course, there's people who are older, who have poor ovarian reserve, who don't have any trouble. But in the main, age and ovarian reserve are where it's at. You start off, and I sound like a broken record, this seems to be like the mantra, you start off your life with your complement of eggs, and as you get older, you use them up. The average age that people run out of eggs at is about 44 years old. So that's what ovarian reserve means. It's just how many you have. How many apples are left in the barrel. Okay. Exactly. So <clears throat> the quality of your eggs drops as you get older as well. So both the number and the quality drop. So the idea of fertility preservation is by grabbing some eggs mm -hmm. when you're younger when the quality and the numbers are higher and holding them in frozen storage and cryogenic storage so that as you get older they don't they get older a little bit but not at anything like the same at the same rate so that when it comes time for you to have your family if you are struggling and it's your first port of call isn't your frozen eggs but if you are struggling there is a plan b that you can use these frozen eggs so if you freeze your eggs at 25 and then you end up having to use them when you're 35 essentially your eggs are 25 year old eggs those eggs are the fertility of a 25 year old are you at 25 yeah. not you at 35 yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly correct Okay, so like, at what, like, when do you advise people to freeze their eggs? Because obviously there's some situations, you know, if people are going to be go undergoing chemo or, you know, other different treatments yeah. from medical issues. So, so there's the no-brainer issue in the sense that you have a medical condition or you have uh, like a cancer diagnosis or something like severe endometriosis or something like that where you've got these medical conditions which are going to have a clear, direct and perhaps immediate actual effect on your fertility and in those cases maybe if you're if you're going for chemotherapy or you've got ovarian cancer go listen let's talk about freezing your eggs before before that that's great that's sort of it's not taken care of as well as it should be in ireland but it's sort of taken care of a bit already what we're more talking about is people who aren't ready to start their families mm -hmm. and who are very open to the notion that they won't be ready to start their families for some time to come we know that people tend to hold their fertility potential until the age of about 33, 34, 34-ish, and then it drops sharply thereafterwards. So if you think you're younger and you're not going to start your family until after that period of time, then fertility preservation is definitely something you should consider, no doubt about it. I often think, and I, I, I think we fudge things a little bit by saying you hold your fertility up until the age of 34, 35, like that's... That's it. It's all rock solid. And then at that Midnight, point, you first jump. the yeah. clock strikes yeah, 12. Exactly. And... exactly. Whereas in truth, we are 
as as mammals were physiologically designed to have our children and our reproductive years to start an awful lot earlier, potentially in our teens and early twenties. Now, I'm not proposing that as a solution. <laughs> I get some pushback. I mean, that's that's crazy. Uh, when people are focused on their education, on finding the right relationship, on developing and growing as an individual as well. Well, we're not just baby making machines. <laughs> yeah, I know. What? Ridiculous. You know, until you hit the menopause and then you're done. I mean, it's just crazy. You, you, you. So so we have to be, we have to acknowledge and be respectful of those, those social changes that mm. are happening that are causing people to start their families at 32. But it's definitely true to say that more people struggle at age 32 than at age 22. Sure. We don't have huge data on this because the numbers in these cohorts of people going through fertility treatments aren't so high. But that's a true statement. So while you say you hold your fertility, what we're really saying is there isn't a massive statistical drop in fertility or a massive uptick in subfertility or infertility until you hit 34. But definitely your eggs are degrading, but not to a point that it becomes statistically significant until you hit that age. Yeah. And do you find when um, people come in and freeze their eggs, maybe in their 20s, do you find that a lot of those people actually do come back to use them? So the first problem we have in that question is that very, very few people are freezing their eggs in their 20s. Okay. Uh, Do you see most people coming in in their kind of early 30s? I wish. I think the, so what we say is the optimal time to freeze eggs is under the age of 34. Mm. I would say 70% to 80% of the people I've looked after for egg freezing have been over that age. Okay. I would say I have seen five patients under the wow. age of 30. Wow. Wow. And, and why do you think that is? Do you think that people it's kind awareness. of... Awareness. Awareness. Okay. It's, it's all awareness. This is, uh, I mean, it's awareness on an international stage, on an international level. And it's even worse in Ireland where sex education is about STDs and barely about contraception. Mm. It's moved forward out of the dark <laughs> ages into now it's STDs and contraception. It should be STDs, contraception and fertility. Mm-hmm. That's not folded into the conversation at all. So it's a total lack of awareness. And I've been shouting about this for many, many years at this point. This is this is not a new thing. It's not a new message. It's not fantastic or original in any way. But I, like everybody else who works in this field, I'm shouting into an echo chamber. The only people who are listening to me are people who are already thinking about this or struggling with, with fertility issues. So I'm preaching to the choir. Um, everybody I speak to, patients I speak to, have gone through fertility treatment. You say to them, so will you? How, how are you going to act with your kids and all the rest? And, and I remember asking you this. And you go, well, of course they're going to be educated. Of course they're going to know. <laughs> That's great, but you're a, you're a small subset of the population. Yeah. So what I'm really happy about is that with with something like therapy, and I'm, I'm not chilling here, it's it's... It's just a statement of fact that access and outreach in terms of education to a wider group of younger people who aren't at all thinking about fertility is really, really powerful. I am not proposing at all that every 25, 26 year old goes and gets their eggs frozen. Mm. That's mad. What I am proposing is that every 25 and 26 year old thinks about it, perhaps Mm. gets their ovarian reserve checked perhaps looks at their family history to see did their parents struggle to conceive what other issues do they have any 
sisters or something like that who, who who struggled as well and to be informed to be aware and to be proactive and that proactivity may start and stop with just having to think about it and realizing it's not for you and moving on it might go with oh look i'll do a blood test i'll do that amh test to check my ovarian reserve i might have noticed i might read up on this how accessible is this how easy is this to do get the information and make a choice but i want it to be an owned choice by ideally all people of reproductive age yeah and it, and it's not it's not even that invasive to you know to even to have these conversations or perhaps to do the amh test like it's so simple it's literally a, 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 a very test. you can do it with a finger pr- finger finger prick test, test. Yeah. Yeah. you know it's so simple and i think when people hear amh test or ovarian reserve they think oh my god that's like you know and, and don't get me wrong it can be traumatic don't do a test unless you want to know the answer exactly. and you can get bad news but not doing that test if it is going to be not great news you're just burying your head in the sand this is something you're going to have to deal with at some point and i know it's tough but the younger you are when you start to deal with that the better off you are so you'll have more options you'll have more choices you'll have more awareness and i suppose it is it's that word options it really is about options it's not like and i i hate when i hear people talk about it as like an insurance policy because it's not really because It's even if, you know, you do have trouble conceiving um, naturally at some point and you need to access those frozen eggs, it's still not a guarantee that it's going to work. Absolutely not. And I think that's one of the dirty little secrets about egg freezing is we, when we're trying to assess the quality of an egg, which is much more important than anything else, it's really difficult for us to do. Really, the only way we have to assess the quality of an egg is to see, does it turn into a good embryo? Does that embryo Mm. turn into a pregnancy and a baby? And if it does, then it was a good egg. I mean, yeah, fantastic. Of course it does. So we can't speak to the quality of the eggs. So that makes the numbers and the chance of success much more difficult for us to parse out correctly. If you freeze eggs at an optimal age and under optimal circumstances, each egg has in and around a 3% chance of giving you a baby. That's not massive. And if you only have two eggs frozen, well, that's pretty terrible in terms of your chance of having having a child. But if you have 20 eggs frozen, well, you're, you're over 60%. You're probably closer to 70% mm. at that stage, in truth. Now, that's not 100%. That's 7 out of 10, not, not uh, 10 out of 10. So there'll be a few people who are disappointed in there. And those numbers are a little bit reductive as well because it doesn't speak to you as an individual. They're yeah. general numbers. Yeah. So you're right in the sense that it's not an insurance policy against future subfertility because it may not pay out. If it is like an insurance policy, it's a particularly crappy phone insurance <laughs> policy where you kind of go, oh, you got it wet. We're not covering that, you know, that sort of thing. It's, it's not an insurance policy isn't a great way to think about it. I'm struggling to think of a better analogy, yeah. to be honest. I think most frozen eggs, the idea of freezing your eggs under ideal circumstances is that they will never be used yeah that when yeah you don't want people to have to come back and use of course not of course not and in full time you'd like to think hey look my family's complete you can just let those eggs off 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 they go and and i don't need them anymore and i and i don't particularly want to people to freeze their eggs if they're going to be coming back within a year or two Mm. for fertility and we see a huge cohort of people with that there's it's, uh, this is uh, perhaps an overgeneralization, but you do see a cohort of people in their mid, mid-30s mid who have perhaps just exited a long-term relationship. 
yeah. who are now thinking, okay, right, <clears throat> if I'm going to get back into this game, it's going to take another two years to find a guy, to, to find a partner, to to develop a relationship, see if I want children with them, and the clock is ticking. So I'm going to go in, I'm going to think about freezing my eggs. They come in, they have a chat, and you say, okay, listen, here are your options. We can freeze your eggs, you can look at your fertility, you can look at options with donor sperm, things like, oh, I don't want to get pregnant right now, um, but I do want to preserve it. You go through egg freezing. They freeze some eggs, hunky-dory, but... Maybe one of the reasons the relationship ended was because there was a, a tension about wanting to have a family yeah. right there and right then. And a significant amount of the time, a significant portion of the time, these women are women who are ready to have a family mm. and ready to start. And a lot of them are back within a year to do treatment with donor sperm. Yeah. And it's very important that you have those conversations in a very kind of, in as compassionate and gentle way as you can, going, look, I'm not saying this is you, I'm saying this is the statistics yeah. in this scenario. This is this is what happens to these proportions of people. I'm not saying it's a bad idea for those people to freeze their eggs. I think it's a it's a much more straightforward process than people seem, than a lot of people realize. So it's, it's, it's not a bad thing to do, especially if it's not overly prescriptive in terms of cost, financial cost and physical cost and emotional cost. Uh, and so it's reasonable to do that. But if you think, look, I'm just going to try to get pregnant one way or the other within the next year, well, go do that. That's that's a much more sensible option for you. Yeah. Um, there's one other kind of, um, I suppose, um, section of society that we haven't talked about that might want to preserve their fertility. And those are trans men who might be transitioning um, and might want to do some fertility preservation before they transition. Absolutely. Yes. Um, so tell me a bit about that. Like it's 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 pretty much the exact it is the exact same process. It's 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 identical. Yeah. So so uh, a trans man who hasn't started on any TRT or any hormonal mm -hmm. supplements or anything like, and I'm trying to be woke and modern, but biologically speaking, when I've got somebody in front a of uterus, me, I'm looking yeah. at their, uh, uterus, yeah. I'm looking yeah. at uterus, I'm looking at ovaries, sure. I'm looking at testes, I'm looking at sperm. So um, the process is identical. Mm -hmm. Obviously, if you do then transition, the notion that or the notion of carrying, you can still do that, but it would involve perhaps Coming some off more of radical some, yeah. radical yeah. changes than, than that person may want to do, but yeah. reciprocal. Yeah, if you have a partner like who that, might carry at some point. One hundred percent. It's absolutely no problem. And I would I would like to think that that's a subset that we will be looking after going forward in both directions, sure. trans women and trans men. Absolutely. And. I, I don't quite know how much those conversations are happening. That's a space that I need to, I probably need to, in fact, I definitely need to educate myself more on. Perhaps you might give me some guidance on this. People who are transitioning mm -hmm. or who are thinking about starting the process of transitioning, mm -hmm. do they want to have a fertility conversation or is that, um, or is that, a, is that yeah, in I any way, shape, form offensive? I suppose, like... I can obviously only speak anecdotally because yes. this is not my lived experience, but from speaking to friends, I think um, oftentimes it's been something that, that people are afraid to talk about. Number one, because pe people are afraid um, to actually approach the clinics that are very traditionally heteronormative and un unsure of what the response they're going to get, how they're going to be oh, wow. treated as an okay. individual. So I think that's really important. And one of the core values of therapy is that we oh, treat God, all... That's, that's, yeah, know, I, all, so I, I'm just, yeah. You know, um, and then, you know, a lot of times people are transitioning young. And if you're young, you're not necessarily thinking about fertility. Yes. 
Um, But I think it's a really important conversation to have. It's not to say that if you do transition that you won't be able to biologically uh, be a parent to your child. Um, But there could be additional, um, you know, obstacles, you know, so it is it's definitely a conversation that needs to be had. It's it's about options. And I mean, you were good enough to say it's not your lived experience and you don't claim to be an expert. I claim to be profoundly ignorant here. Yeah, I but of course all clinics especially should be more than willing to facilitate this this is not a difficult thing for us to do in in the fertility space this is bread and butter yeah and i'm not saying that no clinics are facilitating this i suppose it's it's more that it 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 hasn't been a part of the conversation and a lot of um you know people within my community and my friends would just be unsure of the response that they're going to get will their correct pronouns be used how will how will they be treated as an individual yes you know yes and i think that's a they are reasonable concerns, sure. and I think they're, they're things that absolutely. And I would, I can't always pretend to say I get it right the whole time, but God will try, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and and just treating people like human beings keeps coming back. Exactly. Um, so let's get down to the process. What what does it involve? What so, um... it's 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 pretty straightforward. So the first step would be to do some investigations. Mm-hmm. That AMH test, the ovarian reserve test, is a core test. You're coming in thinking about egg freezing, so why am I doing an AMH? You already know you want to do it. Well, it will tell me how you may respond to doses and types of medication. It will also give me an idea of, it'll start to give me an idea of how many eggs we may reasonably expect from the process. So how many eggs, this is getting really into the into it now, how many eggs do you need to have? Well, I don't know. I mean, it's statistically true to say you're better off having one egg frozen than no eggs frozen. That's a true <laughs> statement. But... It's probably, in fact, it's almost certainly not worth the cost, time, and effort if to you're just, just going to freeze one egg. So by doing these tests, an AMH, and generally an internal transvaginal ultrasound scan to look at the ovaries and look at the small number of follicles within the ovaries, those two data points give me an idea of how you may respond, how many eggs we'll get. Don't always get it right, but it's it's uh, it's a good screening tool. We do some other Johnny-come-lately tests just to make sure that you're fit for the process and things like that. But the scan and the AMH are the two critical, critical parts of that. We then make a determination based on those results as to whether or not we think think egg freezing is good for you. So we don't know what the right number of eggs to have frozen is. Traditionally, we've said 15 to 17 to 20. It seems to be a a nice kind of number. It gives you a... As we say, if it's optimal, a 60, 70% chance. I can see in the future people wanting more. Yeah. I don't think that's unreasonable. If it's accessible, if it's affordable, if, 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 if. Um, the cost of storage is the same regardless if you have one egg or 50 eggs. So if you can get more, then go for it. But the number of eggs you can get on any one cycle, if you got 40 eggs from one cycle, that's too many. You're going to take a massive hit in quality on those yeah. eggs. So you don't want to get more than kind of 20, 25 maximally mature eggs from, from and even that would be high. So sometimes it might take more than one round of egg freezing to get you where and do you see little... people doing a couple of rounds? Oh, or... very frequently. In fact, okay. what I would what I would be advising people is that if they're coming in for egg freezing, it's not unreasonable at all to think in that terms of two rounds, three rounds. I think if you're going above three rounds, you're starting to get into the weeds a little bit, mm. and you have to start thinking: Is this right for you? Or are we doing this because your ovarian reserve is low, and should that shift the focus of the conversation a little bit yeah. into look how important is having a family to you because you might need to get cracking a bit faster. 
Um, but I've had people who've gone through five and six rounds getting wow. getting three or four eggs each time. Wow, that's tough. It's tough, but at the end of that process, and they they got it out, and at the end They're of that really process, happy with they had a, yeah. they had it accomplished exactly what they needed it mm. to accomplish. They, those people haven't used those frozen eggs yet, and I open the phone this time, they don't need to, and all the rest. But they came in, a, a, not a problem, but a potential issue was identified, mm-hmm. and they stepped up and yeah. did their best to deal with it. And yeah. I, you got to respect that. Sure. So, but in in the main, I like to think in terms of we could probably get across the line in two to three rounds. Yeah. And so the process, so testing. So you do your testing. Medication. You decide you want to do it. Then you're on medication. You're probably on some medication for a week or so before a period. Injections, pills, patches. Tablets, tablets, tablets. to start with yeah. uh, to just control and coordinate the, the cycle a little bit for about a week before a period. Then you're on injections, two to three injections or maybe one to two injections for a period of about 12 to 14 days, maybe two or three scans in that space. I feel like a um, a rookie again, because it's been a, a couple of years since, like, what, <laughs> three years since we went through the process. Is it gonna left that you'd be on at that stage? Yeah, so, or something like Anyone that. Anyone who's been yeah, through any sort of fertility. That's why I Mars <laughs> bar, Twix and stuff, chocolate bar. Yeah, gone left is a, is a subtype. But yes, it's, it's, it's FSH, it's follicle stimulation hormone. It's the same hormone that your head produces to stimulate the So the it's just a lot more. Jacked up. Yeah. Absolutely. So really what what we're doing is instead of your body naturally producing one egg or two if it does in a cycle mm-hmm. you're wanting to make lots and lots of them yes but we're capturing the eggs that were going to be thrown away that month yeah so anyway. that was a question you mm-hmm. know because sometimes people are like oh well i don't want to do this because you know i'm, I'm going to take away from the eggs that exactly. i would have produced but you're not you're they not. would have been you're just not. nature is the wasteful entity here not us so we will we're capturing what was going to be lost okay so that's that's a the key part of this. So across that period of 12 days, you'd have a few scans. We'd look at the ovaries when the little follicles, those little fluid-filled sacs, and the ovaries get to the right size. You take a trigger injection. We then bring you in. We give you some sedation. It's not a general anesthetic. It's, it's nice, though. <laughs> that takes different people in different ways. <laughs> we'll talk after. I mean, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I, yeah uh, it's very effective and yeah. you're very comfortable. And over about a 10, 15 minute procedure, we pass a very small needle in through the top of the vagina into the sacs and the ovaries. So is it through like a catheter? Yeah, it's up? a very, very long, thin, sharp needle that we put in under ultrasound guidance. We pass it into the, each of these little fluid sacs and apply a little suction cup, suck out the fluid, suck out the fluid, suck out the fluid, give that fluid to the embryologist. And then they look at the eggs. fluid and they look for eggs. They look for so eggs. So how soon do you know how many you have? So you'll be told after the procedure that day mm-hmm. how many eggs we got, mm-hmm. but then the embryologist has to strip the eggs, mm-hmm. strip the layer of what's called cumulus mm-hmm. cells, those little cloud cells out from around the egg, and then the embryologist makes a determination of if the egg is mature or immature. And if it's immature, they don't it's keep no it. It's, it's no good it's, anyways. It's no, no good. Um, so it's not frozen and then you freeze the mature eggs and that that one step actually causes a lot of confusion so usually the maturity rate is going to be about 70 to 80 percent of the number of eggs in and around so you got 10 eggs we think maybe seven or eight of them will be mature that's normal and an immature egg probably wasn't a very good egg because it wasn't responding in the same way but because there's that deviation between mature and immature people tend to equate mature eggs with good quality eggs and that's not true. We have to keep beating that drum. We cannot tell you if these mature eggs 
are good or not. And the only way you're going to know is once you try to use them. Turn them into embryos. Yeah. Yeah. And that was a question. Do people ever, um, you like use the, you know, go through the process of saying, I want to freeze my eggs and then say, actually, I want to fertilize these eggs Sure. either with my partner's sperm or with donor sperm and then freeze embryos. Sure. Absolutely. Um, and I think that's in many ways from a purely medical point of view, if not from a social point of view, I really like that because by freezing embryos five days later, at the blast you know stage, whether I have a much better idea I yeah you still don't know <laughs> no but I have a much better idea about the quality of of these embryos and the likelihood of success with them yeah and also even still eggs are more delicate than embryos so, so embryos freeze and thaw better yeah so you're more likely when you go to the um defrosting so <laughs> I don't think that's a very <laughs> medical yeah. tech. defrosting <laughs> defrosting thawing bring it on the microwave um, <laughs> the thaw survival rate for embryos much higher five, right? oh, 95 98 99% yeah. um, for eggs 80% 80 and above so if you were trying to look at success rates you well, would well you've got to yeah. subtract that now so why doesn't everybody just freeze embryos? Well, I can see some potential problems. If you're a single woman, you're going to be genetically wedded to whatever sperm you use. And if you do find a partner, then they can't be genetically involved. Yeah. So that's a hill you'll have to have to get over. And 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 on the flip side of that, if you're with a partner and then you end up splitting, you won't be able to use the embryos because well, you, you they won't, jointly... You, you own them jointly. Perhaps you can work something out. But, but if, if, if your yeah, ex yeah. refuses, then well, of course, your, you know, yeah. Belongs to them yeah. as, a, as a unit. Um, so there's definitely some potential issues you could run into there. So if you're in a lesbian relationship, same-sex relationship, you have two, two uh, biological females, then you can use donor sperm to make embryos. Mm-hmm. So long as you're both happy with that donor sperm, and that can be a pretty clever way of doing things if you don't want to have children. But again, that relationship could break down. 100%. So. I remember I had uh, a woman a number of years back, and she was going for some treatment. She was going to have whole body radiation. And the one thing we can be absolutely certain of is that it was going to absolutely knock out her her ovaries. And she had been to another unit already. She was in a relationship. She was in, she was 26 years old. She was so young. Mm. Um, and she had frozen embryos in another unit. And she was due to go in for this whole body radiation procedure in about like three or four weeks. Uh, uh, from and she just came by and said, listen, I asked them about this in St. Elsewhere, and they said, no, no, you're much better off freezing embryos. You're in a relationship. So I kind of maybe like to freeze some eggs as well. Just to be. Like, well, that sounds very reasonable to yeah. me. You know, uh, I mean, I, I don't know how you were. When I was 26, I was an awful Egypt. You know, <laughs> um, I'm not, I wouldn't for a moment claim to be the same person I was, I was back then. And life happens and events happen. So we, we, fro- we froze eggs for her. We managed to get her in and, and do it. And again, she's never used those eggs, I think. Um, but, but I'm really happy that that was there. I was disappointed that wasn't pushed as being the primary option mm. for her. You know, fine if you're... I think you have to... You can't speak absolutely, but you have to be respectful of people's age and circumstances and go, mm. listen... It's, it's almost the equivalent to a certain extent of sterilizing somebody who's 26, mm. except for this one guy, yeah. you know, and that just doesn't yeah. seem right to me, yeah. you know, so, so I was happy to do that. Um, so when, 
Okay, so say we have these eggs frozen and then someone does come back to use them yep. years later, either with a partner, with donor sperm, whatever. Um, do you do IVF or do you do ICSI? You have to do ICSI. And why okay, is that? So uh, just for people who haven't been glued to the podcast the last three weeks. <laughs> what? I know. Uh, IVF is the process of leaving the eggs and sperm in a dish to fertilize themselves. ICSI is the process of injecting a sperm into each egg. One single sperm. One single sperm. One single moving, normal looking sperm into each egg. For frozen eggs, you have to do ICSI. You can't do IUI, you can't do IVF. You have stripped and frozen these eggs. The only way to fertilize them is with ICSI. So you, so what you would do is you would uh, is is the person who's going to carry the pregnancy would go on medications. They'd go on tablets, estrogen to build so up the, the lining uterine of the womb. preparation exactly part of correct. the treatment. Yep, the frozen embryo transfer preparation. Only it's not a frozen embryo transfer. They would go on those medications, and then on a predefined day you would thaw the eggs fertilize the eggs grow them out grow out the fertilized embryos for five days and then do a transfer and if you have other embryos there which hopefully you will you would freeze them double frozen but it's not the same thing it's not like why a, is it not the same thing well, it's not like a piece of chicken it's uh <laughs> it's <laughs> did you put that back in the freezer <laughs> gonna kill us all been that soldier um <laughs> An egg and an embryo are wildly different. An egg is is a single cell uh, thing. A day five embryo has hundreds of cells in it and a trophectoderm. And so there's really good data on this at this point. It's absolutely safe and reasonable to freeze that embryo on day five. In fact, there's growing bodies of data that you can thaw and refreeze embryos and eggs with less damage than we thought perhaps might be, which, which is something that's worth mentioning. What made all of this possible, if you go way back, to right back at the start. Louise Brown's turning, I think, she's turning 43, 45, 43, 43. Or, 43 she's or 48. 78. First IVF okay. baby. Yeah, and yep. she it's, it's her birthday on Sunday. So if you go back all the way then, right back then, not a hope of freezing anything. And then freezing technology started to develop uh, years, years later. But they were slow freezing. And when you slow freeze something, uh, not a bad analogy is um, ice, ice cubes in your freezer. Mm-hmm. You get little cracks. So as... Water freezes, it crystallizes, it freezes slowly, it crystallizes, and you get shearing effects, which cause breakages and cracks. And that's one of the things you get with slow freezing. And embryos have it, but to a lesser extent, but it was always an issue. Eggs had it in spades. So when the early egg freezes really didn't work that well because the slow freezing technique would cause those shearing, damaging, cracking effects on 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 the on the eggs with embryos you can take a lot of that fluid out before you freeze them so it's less of an issue then a new technology developed called vitrification I like that's that. like fast freezing it's rapid freezing it's from the latin mm-hmm. vitrus which means turn to glass what? so again it's a lovely and illustrative because you rapidly freeze these and you you prevent the ice crystal formation and so it's a much more clear solid stable frozen entity so vitrification has changed the pitch in this regard. And vitrification, more than anything else, has allowed for the much more effective freezing of embryos, but also of eggs. And that's what's made, made this preservation possible. And what used to happen so. when you'd get that kind of shards and all yeah. of that kind of happening, would the um, the egg or the embryo just not survive? Or would yeah. it result in like... No, 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 it would just not survive. Okay. And that, But you wouldn't know that until it came time to thought. Yeah. So you just... It's, and that's obviously desperately disappointing because 
forgive the expression, you've put your eggs in one basket. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's, yeah. Um, and it's And it's tremendously unfortunate when you come back because you've gone through whatever it is that you've gone through and then you try this and you go, oh, Lord, I've got nothing. So if someone comes back, uses their eggs, there's this whatever 70%-ish kind of success rate. Depending on, yep. Depending on your circumstances. And then you manage to get the however many embryos, J5 blasts. Yep. At that point, what is the kind of success rate of, so of pregnancy? If you've got a really good embryo in front of you, a really good day five, shiny looking day five embryo, and you were a young woman, one day five embryo, that's probably going to give you anywhere between a 60 and 70% chance of a positive pregnancy test and perhaps a 50 to 55% chance of a baby. Okay. okay. So uh, not bad. That's, that's pretty good. Um, and if you have two of them, you obviously have that yep. by two, or maybe the second one's a little bit worse, and and so on and so forth. I also think it's really important, we, we especially when we have younger patients come into us, we tend to become, because we're so, you the average age of people attending for treatment in Ireland is 38 and a half, 38, 38 and a half. So when we see somebody who's 27 or 28, we tend, rather unfairly, to become ridiculously optimistic. Um, because, <laughs> and excited. Yeah, it's very exciting for us. <laughs> Any cycle that results in the birth of a child is a win. Mm-hmm. This is all about having one child with these eggs. Yeah. And I think when you start to talk about the numbers and go, okay, you're 28 years old and we've 20 eggs and 16 of them are going to be mature and 12 of them are going to fertilize. You have 10 kids. Five of them are going to turn into good blastocysts <laughs> or seven of them are going to... Yeah. And, and you know what? You're, lo- you're a lock. You're golden. And... To the point where I've had, I've had patients, they generally weren't mine, but I've seen patients do try to be very, very metric about this. Uh, I'm very disappointed I only had one child from my IVF cycle. And you feel like shaking them, going, let me show you. Let me show you around this building. Let me show you the failures. But that's not their fault. That's our fault. Mm. That's a failure of management of expectations and things like that. So, so the idea of egg freezing is that you won't need them, you won't use them. I was thinking about this on the way in today. And I know I've said this before and I've acknowledged this before. I'm monstrously, massively biased. I live and work in a field where all I see is is, is couples and people struggling to conceive. So the notion that people can get pregnant without IVF for my assistance seems crazy to me, but apparently it does happen. The vast majority of people do not need this treatment at all. They don't need to use frozen eggs. They don't need to worry about fertility. They do need to. So, so most people won't need to use frozen eggs. So why should you bother mm. freezing your eggs? Well, I think to answer that question, you have to take a step back and, and ask yourself, how difficult or easy is it to do this? And if it's very time consuming and it's very expensive and there's a lot of hoops to jump through, then it makes it a much more difficult sell. Mm. If it's easy, it's straightforward, it's a bit more fire and forget. That's a different story entirely, isn't it? You know, so so that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to make it obviously more affordable. That 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 same old chestnut that we're that we're repeatedly banging on about. We're trying to make it much more affordable. We're trying to make it more accessible. We're also very much trying to acknowledge that this is a different cohort to who we traditionally see in fertility clinics. Mm. Who we traditionally see in fertility clinics are people coming in with a history of failure, with the anger, guilt, shame, disappointment, heartache, 
the, all all the, with all that entails either they're trying and they're not getting pregnant they've been through fertility treatment and it hasn't worked but they're bringing some level of emotional psychological physical history and baggage with them fertility preservation patients be they sperm freezing or egg freezing are not so i was asked yesterday should we refer to our patient our patients our our people who are coming into us yeah our, our customers as patients or clients? And the answer is both. Mm. I think it's very reasonable to call somebody who's got a history of infertility or subfertility a patient. Mm-hmm. The World Health Organization, WHO, recognizes that infertility is a disease. It is reasonable to say you are treating a medical condition. Mm-hmm. And if you're having a medical condition treated, you are by definition a patient. Mm-hmm. If you're coming in for fertility preservation for all the testing, is very similar, the process is very similar to an extent, you're not a patient, you're a client, you're coming in for a service, and that mm-hmm. service needs to be delivered in a in a different way. I guess the emotional journey is just so incredibly oh, different. It's, com- it's completely different, it's completely different, and they don't need the same levels of support mm. at all. And it's in, in fact, it's, I'd argue it's somewhat inappropriate to give them that. And oh my Lord, yeah. you just, you just think about counselling for you and this is very, it's not. You're going to come in, you're going to go on medications, you're going to have a small procedure and you're going to be done. You might repeat that. Yeah. You know? Um, so it's how we interact with these clients should be very different from how we interact with our patients yeah. generally. But of course, if we're working in this field, we've been seeing patients for all our professional career, and it's and it can be difficult or challenging to flip that switch and move into, into what I'd like to think we're going to be doing in in therapy fertility is being very respectful of those differences, yeah, and and uh, and, and and to allow patients to advocate for those. Yeah, and I suppose even someone like me and my wife coming in for treatment, we weren't necessarily patients because we weren't coming in with any history of exactly infertility. We were coming in because we needed to access a service, which so was donor you're sperm. Absolutely correct. You're a third cohort. <laughs> what, what do we call me? <laughs> yeah, I would still refer you to as client, mm-hmm. okay? But I would heavily caveat it by saying there are limitations for uh, for a couple who are going through reciprocal IVF or something like that. Look, there's no reason to think this won't work, except that statistically, a lot of time, this doesn't work. Yeah. It takes a couple of bites And also, of you might actually... Either of you have some some sort of infertility and not know because you've never tried. Absolutely. Yeah. So you do the tests, but even where all the tests are normal, trying to manage the expectations, trying to walk that line between positivity and negativity, between optimism and pessimism, is very difficult. It's also critical to do. It's really important. Yes, there's no reason why this shouldn't work. A lot of the time it doesn't work. A lot of the time it takes a few goes or we have to move things around. So your emotional journey as a couple trying to get pregnant is wildly different from somebody's emotional journey who's just freezing their eggs oh yes oh yes because when you're freezing your eggs it's with like Uh, the hypothetical you are maybe one day i'll use these maybe one day i'll want a baby whereas with us we are like at that point where let's make one now so the heavy emotional psychological load that comes with fertility treatment tends to not absolutely but tends to come at the back end Mm. it tends to come with the embryo with the implantation with success and failure from that point onwards with egg freezing you have none of that yeah so it's it's a difference um, two last questions. Ooh. Do people get emotionally attached to their eggs? Because I know certainly people do get emotionally attached to their embryos. 
Yes. So is there that same yes. thing with eggs? Yes, they tend not to disclose that to me, <laughs> um, but absolutely. Yeah. Yes, yes, they do. And it comes back to that expectational management thing, where speaking as a clinician, as somebody kind of scientist background, you think, please don't do that. But how can you not? Yeah. You've put, for all I say, it's a straightforward process. It is effort. You've put effort and time and commitment into doing this. And you feel like there's a value add from having that. And it's a... It's, it's perfectly okay to have a reassurance, but I would urge people to steer out of uh, naming your eggs, naming your embryos. Yeah, we have three embryos left. They don't have names. That's good. But we are, we do, we are attached to them. Yes, yes. Yeah. I always felt the term Frosties, which I've seen a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a little bit of anthropomorphication going on there, you know, and, and look, I... What am I going to say? Don't do that. Of course, you're going to do that. It's very natural. It's very yeah. human to do that. But I don't regard eggs, sperm, and even embryos as being human beings. No, I, I, I would, I would argue that they're the potential. You know, they're exactly. potential as you humans, say, as you say. But yeah, people do get attached. Um, if someone comes back, last question: If someone yeah. comes back and um, <laughs> defrosts their eggs, creates embryos, um, how many do you put back in? Uh Never more than two. Is the, and is that the, the law? No. Okay. No, there's no law governing this in Ireland. So do do some clinics put back I more than two? I don't think there's Because there was a really, time. Yeah, I don't I don't think of that. I can't speak to them. I don't yeah. think so. I think it's you're you're selling pretty close to the wind if you're putting I mean, back in the day when you were doing day three transfers mm. or day two transfers and you're really having a nod if these are, are I suppose you can make an argument. I think by putting more than two embryos back in at a time, you're absolutely giving up control. Yeah. You know? And twin pregnancies are tough. Don't get me wrong. They're tough financially. They're tough physically. They carry increased risk mm -hmm. obstetrically. They carry increased risk for the babies. They carry increased risk for the for the mothers. So, so while a lot of patients would be very happy with twins, they regard it as being a good outcome, we in the field don't regard it as being a good outcome. We regard it as being a necessary evil in order to efficiently deliver care. Mm. We would prefer there not to be twins. In the past, if you were with the slow freezing techniques, if you were going to lose 30% of your embryos by freezing and thawing them, there was a statistical pressure on you to put those embryos back together and take the risk of twins. Now we're in a situation where we know the freezing and thawing is really successful, so it is safer and more reasonable to do single embryo transfer. So the vast majority of the time, you're going to put embryos back one at a time. Sometimes if somebody's had repeated failure or they're that little bit older, you can consider putting two back in. If we're talking in the context of fertility preservation, grow outs, mm -hmm. And let's say, hypothetically, somebody froze their eggs when they were 28 and they're now 44 and go, oh, can I have two embryos back in so I'm 44? Uh-uh, these are 28-year-old embryos, <laughs> you know? Um, so, so let's And is let's that a decision that. that is solely on the, like, the cl clinical side or the, is, that a, is that a joint decision? It's a good question. There are medical conditions. Suppose you've had a couple of treatments to your cervix. Suppose you've had a treatment to your uterus. Suppose you have other medical conditions, which I feel put you at increased risk in pregnancy, especially if you had a twin pregnancy, I may make a determination to say, I am not comfortable. I can't stand by this. I can't stand by this. If people go, I still really want to do this. Well, if somebody is pushing back, if somebody says to you, I want you to put five embryos back in me, my job isn't just to say, I'm not doing that. My job is to educate them as to why that's a really terrible idea. Mm. 
if at the end of that process, after me taking the time and going through the data and the statistics and all the rest of it and breaking it down in very clear, understandable terms, if at the end of that, they still come back, go, I, I want to have five embryos put back in. Either I'm bad at my job mm. or they're just not getting it. Mm. And at that point, that's a breakdown in the relationship yeah. for whatever reason. I don't think it's because I'm bad at my job. I just think you can't hear me. And so you should get them to go someplace else or, or see anything. So we do have limits. But in the main, if it's a conversation between putting one embryo back or two embryos back, what I very much like to do is be non-paternalistic mm -hmm. and try to inform education. Then most people generally make the right choice. And that would be for one rather than two. We but, were those people. We were those we were those annoying people. I, I remember I had I had a couple in with me and they'd done a cycle and they had two embryos frozen. She was young, she was thirty five. If you're under thirty four, I'm really gonna be a bit bolshy if you want to have two embryos put back in. I'm really gonna push you towards one. I'm gonna be a little bit some kind of way about it. But she was 35, so I want to have two armies back in. And just, I was, so have you spoken to anybody? Do you know anybody in your life who's had twins? Oh, yeah, my mum had twins. I said, oh, great. So you spoke to her. And what did she say? Because I know what the answer is going to be. And, oh, she hated. She said it was awful. And she said, I absolutely <laughs> shouldn't do it. I went, well, that's great. So what are we going to do? I'd really like to have two put back in. <laughs> Head in your hands. And I get why. It's a bargaining thing. You know, I just want to get this done. My chance will be higher. And... While it's almost like a sacrifice thing, I know the twins would be difficult, but that's the sacrifice I'm willing to make in order to be, to have my family. Okay. You don't have to, though. Yeah. The freezing and thawing is really good. Yeah. So we can just be nice and safe and responsible. And certainly somebody who is younger, I think it's not unreasonable for a clinic to say, you're under 34, you've no real history of failure, we're only putting embryos back one at a time. And ultimately, legislation will probably come in, which will which will hold us to that. I don't think that's unreasonable. Are there other countries that have legislation? Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Well, interestingly, what happened in the UK years ago was the HFEA tried to bring in twin pregnancy limits. And they said IVF clinics can't go above X, 10, 12, 15% twin, twin rates. From, from IVF cycles. And one clinic in London, I think it was ARGC, a really, really well-known, internationally renowned clinic, was consistently going above that because the guy there uh, was was consistently putting two arms like it. The HFEA came in, this was years ago, said, listen, you're going to revoke your license if you don't, you know, straighten up and fly right. And he took legal action against them. He said, my patients are being informed, are being educated, Yes, they are making an informed choice, and you aren't going to tell me what I can't, what they can and can't do. And he won. Yeah. So there's always that kind of tension between what you should legislatively apply, what you'd like to think in an ideal world is that everybody is responsible, that yeah. everybody is trying to be honest and clear. Neonatologists, uh, people who work in pediatric care. They hate us because the twin rate from IVF is higher. Mm. You know, that's coming down. Every year it's coming down a little bit because single embryo transfer is becoming more and more of a thing. And I get that twin pregnancies have a higher complication rate. And I get that there's edge cases which wind up in neonatal intensive care unit and all the rest. But you still have to talk to the people in front of you yeah. and give them choices and options. And they have to be involved in that decision tree. And I think so many people are... are just really love the idea of 
having twins yes the idea of having like a two for one sort of deal when you're yes. when you're spending so like you let's be real you're spending so much money on this yep. and so much time and so much um of of your heart is going into it it's kind of like you know you do hate to see that you do hate to see where the decisions we made on a financial basis yeah and that's tough um where somebody to get to that point has been so financially beaten that this is their only way way through and then they put back three or four and i get that people are somewhat emotionally wedded to mm. the idea of the two for one i think it's very illustrative <laughs> i think it's very accurate i also think it's wrong yeah. you know and and where at all that's an issue i would urge these people to get online or find something like who've gone through it because people who go through twin pregnancies tell you a very different story do you know what we have we have a couple of sets of friends who are um you know same-sex parents who put back two yeah and ended up with three yeah yeah <laughs> and that's not unusual that's in a, a small enough it's, circle it's, a, it's about it's, yeah, and it's, those people when we were <laughs> right before our embryo transfers were like do not put back two and we did we did yeah. every time we always put back two yeah. um just because we had this idea yeah um but the the people who have gone through it always say yeah. don't do it well and that's it's it's not a high chance if you put two back in that you'll get three or four out but and people go oh you can look after three kids at that point you're into massive obstetric risk yeah and if those children come out well and happy and healthy aside from the financial penalties you're going to mm-hmm. pay in terms of education and, and clothing and housing them the risk of having severe prematurity i think that it's really high and it can be ruinous to mm-hmm. somebody and it's just not a game you want to play at all so that risk while being low it's there and it's real but yeah so many couples go through fertility treatment advocate for a transfer of two embryos nobody who said has such twins does nobody that should tell us something can we not listen to that a little bit i know it's only anecdotal but it's pretty much 100 percent anecdotal so that. so moral of the story is if you're coming you're freezing your eggs don't come back 10 years later and ask for five embryos to be put back in. You can ask. I'm happy to have a conversation, but I'm going to say no. <laughs> we'll always talk. <laughs> Perfect. Well, listen, thank you awesome. very much for your time again, as always. Awesome.